Hello again, welcome to the I Believe Your Abuse podcast, where we talk all things narcissistic abuse. This is episode three. I'm so happy that you're here, and I'm so thankful for all of the positive feedback that's come in. Can we just give a shout out for the strong survivors everywhere who show up and learn, consider the bigger picture, who are doing some soul searching, and who are working to spread awareness and also to rebuild those broken pieces that once stood as their recognizable self. You are so much stronger than you'll ever know, and the support that we offer each other, it's crucial in the healing process. I'm your host, Brandy Fuller-Anderson, counselor, coach, fellow survivor, author, and advocate. Once again, my regular disclaimer, just that you'll often hear me refer to the narcissist as a he, but know that this is just for ease of telling my personal story and staying consistent, but I know and I acknowledge that narcissists can be both male and female. Today on the show, we will discuss the reason that those closest to the narcissist see the worst sides of them, and why it often appears as though the narcissist may be able to control their behaviors whenever it suits them. Please keep in mind that we discuss narcissistic traits and their underlying defenses, and we do not discuss the traits that are more indicative of antisocial personality disorder or any psychopathic traits. So if your partner has some overlap, which is not the more common occurrence, he may or may not differ in presentation at times, but will still have the same motivating factors and inherent defenses if he is in fact a narcissist, because these are universal and pivotal in the MPD diagnosis. We may go over a lot of clinical information, so please don't feel overwhelmed. We'll further break down some of these small pieces of information in later episodes as well. Buckle up. We're going to relive some of this experience. Does he treat other people this way, or is it just me? We've all wondered this, right? I know I have felt very singled out, targeted by this predator, and it has felt like everything, in every way that it has played out in my relationship with a narcissist, has been purposefully designed to make him look good and me look bad. Has been purposefully designed to make me look and feel crazy so he could benefit from it has been purposefully designed to demolish my self-esteem so that I could be easily abused, has been purposefully designed to make me untrustworthy and him believable. And all of these dynamics were true in my relationship. I most definitely felt like it was all intentional, but it wasn't. Please know that I am offering explanations as to how the fragmented mind and character of the narcissist come into play with what we see from inside the relationship. These dynamics may not always appear that way to us in the moment, and it isn't always what we want to hear when we're stuck in the place where we're solely focused on despising these lowly and vile assholes. There are many reasons for this, and one is simply because we have just spent a vast amount of time 
sitting in the cognitive dissonance created by our lying and gaslighting partners, being told that our experience didn't occur in the way that we thought it had, or that the life we envisioned was false, or that the things we said were not said, or simply being confused about what things in our reality were accurate and whether or not we were the crazy one. We spend a good part of our recovery fighting back, taking our truth back, demanding to be heard and refusing to be told that we're the crazy ones. And we should. Own your truth. This life did happen to you. It was as crazy as it sounds. And you have every right to tell your story, despite anyone's ability to understand it. So it might seem a little counterproductive to then get to the point in your recovery when it's once again time to be forced into the acceptance that some of the things that you've started to sort through aren't necessarily as you imagined. It can feel abusive to hear and may trigger you a bit. If you aren't yet ready, that's okay. Try again another time. I encourage you, during your healing process, to accept new information. Not just as new truth, as if your truth doesn't exist. But accept the information as you learn and add that knowledge to the information you already know to be true as you work through the misery of it all. Write things down, study it, explore different angles of it. Eventually, all of the puzzle pieces will fit together. It will just click and you'll get it, and you'll know exactly what you need to do to protect yourself from this mess in the future. Just hang in there though, the pain of healing and discovering, I promise it does get easier. In the beginning, as you make sense of what just happened to you, you feel the need to put those feelings and experiences into a scenario that quickly makes sense of it and allows you to shift blame to the appropriate place. For this reason, you reach for conclusions that are easiest to believe, less complex as your mind is already spinning and exhausted. The thought of having to sort through more confusing information is tiring, and the thought of considering anything other than how much you were in the right and they were in the wrong feels equally abusive to you. But when you become ready, the further education and understanding compound your level of healing and really prepare you for life moving forward without sacrificing any of those kind, compassionate parts of you that you want to bury from the world along with any chance of this type of pain in the future. Narcissists have some maladaptive defense mechanisms that direct their behaviors. Many that they are not even aware of or in control of. But that doesn't mean they lack the ability to fake behavior when it suits them, or to flat out lie about what they're experiencing, as they're still selfish and dishonest the majority of the time. Just please know that having an understanding about how narcissists function does not diminish the abuse you endured while in a relationship with one. It feels deliberate, even when it isn't. And it feels targeted, even when it isn't. And there are reasons for this. And that's all we're discussing here. I'm not offering any excuses for their behavior or any claims that the pain that you've endured 
is not as crazy or in-depth as you feel it is. You are in the right and they are completely in the wrong. There are inner workings that we don't always notice and the only reason we even care about them is because having that insight may help survivors to heal. Maybe accept that their partner really will not change or that returning to them is futile and dangerous and maybe help you move forward. The truth is, those who sit with the belief that their partner is choosing this behavior and targeting it just on them, those people are actually trying to convince themselves that their partner is capable of choosing not to have this behavior, that their partner is capable of change. This is a dangerous assumption, isn't it? That assumption can cause victims to sit in a relationship for years, making attempts to help their partner heal and hope that their partner will one day choose to change, choose to stop abusing them. But this day isn't coming, and those are wasted years of your life and years of abuse that damage everything about you. And if you're not ready to hear these facts, it's okay, just keep working for it. And that is where your focus should be. I want there to be healing. I want there to be less damage left behind by these slimy, oblivious, abusive fucks. Education is your friend, but so is open-mindedness, self-reflection, and acceptance. Also, it's important to remind everyone here that all narcissists are not the same. Your partner may be a malignant narcissist or be more of a covert subtype, which can present in somewhat different social ways but will not be so different when it comes to their underlying defenses. Narcissists are reactionary, responding only to the feeling that they have from one moment to the next. Also keep in mind that some narcissists may have some overlapping antisocial traits which would allow them to be a bit more manipulative with the ways in which they use people for their own good. It is also possible that many people with antisocial personality disorder might be mistaken for someone with narcissistic personality disorder due to their narcissistic traits, but their underlying motivations would be much different, and they would be much more likely to simply abuse without regard to any criminality restraints, without any remorse, possibly with careful planning, and maybe even without anything to gain other than amusement. These are not narcissistic traits. To have an understanding that you feel comfortable with regarding your partner's true pseudo-diagnosis, you'll need to have an open mind and give some in-depth consideration to the cycles of abuse and potential motivations behind them. This is often hard to do when you've not yet worked through the initial pain of deceit and anger about the lies and craving for redemption. This will come in time, with the most powerful level you reach the one of indifference. If your partner has narcissistic personality disorder, he has a fragmented sense of self that doesn't allow for him to turn this disorder on and off. His disordered view of the world, lack of empathy, Black and white thinking and fantasy world are present at all times and in all situations. However, 
they might not be so apparent in all situations, leading victims to feel as though their partner saves these bad behaviors for them and them alone. It also creates a sense that he's more of a calculated psychopath than he necessarily is because it gives the illusion that his behaviors are within his control and therefore purposefully perpetrated on just you. But without overlapping sociopathic traits, this likely isn't the case. I know this is an unpopular answer and victims really hate hearing this. Now, many narcissists do also have some antisocial traits and they may be more likely to have calculated purpose behind their atrocious behaviors. But those with NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, operate on a moment by moment basis solely based on their need to deflect shame and defend their ego. See, at the root of narcissism is the deeply ingrained fear of realizing their own worthlessness. Everything about how they present themselves is a defensive cover to protect their very fragile self-esteem. They can't sit with any negative feelings that bring their shame to the surface because they simply have no coping skills to deal with them so they must quickly deflect any emotions that come along that cause them to feel shameful. This is when their tactics of projection, gaslighting, smear campaigning, denial, delusional thinking come into play to save themselves from having to feel those negative emotions. They can't carry that burden, so they expect you to. Because their egos are so fragile, they, can't, they can be offended by one of your actions at any given moment, so really there's nothing you can do. You can't prevent it. And they will change their mood and their behaviors accordingly, moment by moment, every day, and with every person. This is offered here for clarity and understanding of narcissistic personality disorder itself, and it doesn't in any way, shape, or form offer a justification for treating people badly is I believe this understanding still leaves so many purposeful behaviors that are the responsibility of the narcissist and they choose selfishly and impulsively each and every time. Let me offer an explanation and I'll do my best to differentiate between the thought processes that they can, can't control and the ingrained defenses that they have automatically engaged and choices in behavior that they repeatedly make that are selfish and hurtful and despicable. Okay, so here's a scenario off the top of my head, so let's just hope it doesn't run too far off the rails and you can follow my train of thought. Let's say that I arrive at my office early in the morning before opening hours, maybe in the hopes that I'll have a little bit of time to myself, a little peace and quiet to collect my thoughts and maybe even straighten up that back room that I know was messy a little bit when I left the day before. So I go into the file room and enjoy my time alone, but when I come back to the front room, I see that there's a man standing there. Now, this upsets me for two reasons. The first is that I was kind of in the mood to be left the hell alone this morning and I really just don't want to deal with anyone and now here I am having to deal with someone. The second is because I must have left that door unlocked when I came in as this would be a normal habit for me. I usually only came in when it was time to open for business. Remember today I came in early. However, I hate when I make a mistake like this. How stupid of me. 
Great, now I feel stupid that I forgot to lock the door and keep the place closed until regular opening time, and I have to be around someone when I wanted to be left alone. And I don't like feeling stupid, or like I don't do my job the way I'm supposed to. This makes me feel less than perfect, which makes me feel completely worthless. And I don't like this feeling. I can't handle any feelings of shame. I need to get rid of it. Let's see. There must be another excuse for this. So I quickly think. I got it. It wasn't me who made the mistake. This man must have broken into the office. This is his fault. He must be up to no good. This conclusion allows me to take that sinking, shameful feeling off of me and shift the blame to him. Remember, everything is about blame with the narcissist. Now I have some choices. I can ask this gentleman what he's doing there, if he has an early appointment, or if he knows that the place is not quite open yet. Or I can scream and yell at him for coming in and breaking into my office. I could call the police. I could shoot him. This man is in the wrong. He should not have come into my business before I was ready to open and he deserves whatever he has coming to him. Now let's be real. Only one side of these choices is the logical legal choice, but still a choice. What do you think the narcissist will choose? The choice that backs up his blame-shifted theory? Or the one that allows a response which may shoot down that theory, hence bringing the shame back to the narc? If the narc asks the man why he's there and the man states he's here for an appointment and the door was open so he came in early, then that confirms the narcissist's fear that he forgot to lock the door. He made a mistake. He cannot accept the shame. He'll most definitely choose the option that prevents this. It's due to his shame-deflected thinking, but it's still a choice. He's still responsible for the bad and hurtful choices that he makes, so I'm not making excuses for narcs and the way they repeatedly hurt people, lack remorse, and lie. He might have had less choice about choosing to accept the fact that this guy came in because he left the door unlocked, or choosing to believe that this guy must be to blame and not him. He may have had less choice over that because it was automatic for him to shift that blame over to the guy. However, how he reacted to the situation was still within his control. Do I talk to the guy and find out if he's upset or if, I, if he came in by mistake or what's going on? Or do I overreact to automatically confirm my suspicions that it wasn't me who made this mistake, it was him all along? And they'll almost always choose selfishly, impulsively, recklessly. They go all in when it comes to defending themselves. And that's a choice. So I just offer understanding as to the root of their thought process. If he fits the diagnosis for NPD, his every thought and action is based around his need to protect his ego from shame. It is not a narcissistic trait to take action with the desire to harm others, just to protect themselves at all costs. 
Narcissists can, however, possess some antisocial traits which may lead them to want to hurt others purposefully. I, I hope that that clears it up a little. I just wanted everyone to, to be on the same page and know that there's not one way to experience a relationship with a narcissist. Always listen and accept survivor stories knowing that they can be different from yours, but they're just as valid. And know that no matter what stories or explanations we offer here, we are never making excuses for these abusive behaviors. So if you've ever felt targeted by your narcissists, that's because narcissists do most often treat their spouses and those closest to them the very worst. This can be the scariest and most isolating part of this abuse. Knowing that you see a side of him that he hides from other people. Knowing that it's always your story against his. Knowing the story that you have to tell isn't believable because people can't wrap their heads around the person they see doing the things you're accusing him of. This is the heart of the abuse by the narcissist. But this is not usually by way of careful planning and more because those who spend the most intimate time with them have the most time to say or do things that the narc feels as damage to their ego. These people have been the target of the narcissist's projections more, and they're a convenient scapegoat since they're always there. So they happen to get the worst of what lies behind the mask. They also spend the most time in close quarters with the narc, so are likely to be the one that sees the mask when it slips, which labels them as the enemy straight away from that point forward because the narc must protect the false persona and anyone who can erase it must be stopped. The smear campaign starts probably as soon as you meet the narcissist, even though you won't find out until much, much later. And this is because they not only have to convince themselves that you are to blame for all of their problems, and you possess all of the qualities they hate in themselves, but they need to convince others of this. This helps to ensure that the outside world does not see those negative qualities as belonging to the narc, and can see them just as a result of the narc situation, being tangled up with a damaged person like you. This is not to say that they can't control some behavior. I want to be very clear about that. They cannot control the way they think or see the world, and some of those behaviors are natural to them based on that thought process. But every person knows that some behaviors are right and some are wrong, and they make the choice as to which to choose. So once a narcissist tells a lie, they seem to wholeheartedly believe that lie. But I tend to believe that for that brief moment when they're choosing what to say, they're very aware that what is about to come out of their mouth is a lie. They choose to lie. They don't care how this lie will affect you as they likely, you know, lack any empathy. And they aren't contemplating any recourse from telling the lie because they don't reflect on their behaviors, past or future. Remember, they live in the here and now only. You see these behaviors most often and they are directed at you most often, but they do carry this disorder around with them in all situations and with all people. You may notice if they don't hold positions of power in their job that they likely change jobs frequently. It's not easy to work closely with people and not eventually be triggered by the perceived shame they throw at you. 
Eventually, when they're told that they're not in fact the most important or skilled worker in the building, they won't like that. And when they're eventually told that they will not be getting that promotion or raise that they're requesting since they barely show up to work most days, they won't like that. And so the cycle goes. Now, I have been in this very place where I was sure that my husband was plotting against me and only me, while he was fun and happy-go-lucky with everybody else. I was sure my husband's despicable behavior was carefully plotted out by him before we even met, and then callously played out over and over again until I stood up and said enough is enough. It was all that made sense to me at the time. And when I ended things and saw his mother show her true colors and the rest of his family immediately run to his aid like he was a wounded puppy, I wondered how they could have missed the monstrous behaviors that my children and I saw. I wondered if he had spent a lifetime treating family members nicely and living a convincing lie for years with them to then choose to show his ugly side only to me. But as I wrote my story down, his real cycle became even clearer to me and made sense later as I put his diagnosis together and made sense of the web of deceit that had been my entire relationship. To start sharing this dynamic, I want to share a journal entry that I made at the time regarding his relationship with his mother. It comes from a place during my recovery when I was still uncovering what was going on what exactly a narcissist was and how it played out in a relationship. And I was trying to fit the bad behaviors into something explainable and looking for a way to feel like I wasn't completely alone in this. That's not exactly how it turned out and I'll explain that after, but it went like this. There are many theories as to the development of this personality disorder. Some give credit to faulty parenting in childhood a severe emotional trauma in childhood, an overly critical mother or one who didn't provide adequate nurturing. My husband remembered a mother who gave him little attention and rarely cared, and an abusive stepfather. His relationship with his mother was unpredictable. He really didn't have a nice thing to say about her unless she was meeting his immediate desires. As his illness became more apparent, she became an obvious trigger for his alternate personality. At times, he would call and ask her for things, and if she didn't meet his demands, he would scream and call her names and hang up on her. I had to wonder how long this had been going on. Maybe all of his life? She would eventually give in and give him what he wanted. It was as if she'd spent years trying to gain his love and acknowledgement, and she knew this was the only way to get it or at least feel it, and I definitely understood that. I still had to wonder, had she spent those years questioning his actions and seeking help for him, rather than giving in to his manipulations, would I be suffering through this life with him now? Parenting is challenging work, but the world will not teach our children responsibility, good judgment, and compassion. If we send them out into the world without these things, they will fail. 
I felt myself questioning my judgment of his mother. I'm sure she wasn't perfect, but who is? And everyone blames the mom, right? She eventually said no, cut off contact, and stopped financially enabling him. Although his family continued to enable him and she later picked right back up. At the time, this was her first step in regaining her sense of self and the most valuable lesson that she would teach me. As I think back now, it would seem as though my husband married me not to gain an equal partner in life, but rather an extension of his mother and their dysfunctional relationship. He expected me to meet his every desire, and if I didn't, he dismissed me and his love for me. He spoke negatively about me to others, just as he badmouthed his mother to me. And his only real complaint was that we weren't giving him what he wanted, even if it was so far-fetched and out of reach. She was a bad mother, I was a bad wife, and he would commit to punish us until he got what he wanted or found someone else to give it to him. Once while cleaning out our guest room closet, I found a pile of broken plastic coin holders, a large pile. My father had passed away about a year before and I had inherited his coin collection. My husband had stolen about $800 worth of antique coins and spent them at face value. The hurt that I felt over his betrayal meant nothing to him. The hurt I felt over the sentimentality of the collection meant nothing to him. My feelings meant nothing to him. He bought a $7 pack of cigarettes with my beloved father's coin collection, and it meant nothing to him. In fact, when I confronted him about it, he was quick to tell me that I should have come up with the money he wanted when he wanted it. He would later say, if I knew him to be a thief, I should have locked everything in the house up. I was to blame. I was always to blame. And I did eventually have to lock everything up. Everything. What was left, anyway. I was forced into the realization that this was the type of person I married, and this was the type of life I would have to live. Leaving didn't immediately occur to me as an option. This would take a little time. Just as it took his mother time to realize her best action would be to distance herself from his abuse and stop enabling it. So with clear evidence that he would never actually have caring feelings for me or anyone else, I stayed. I realize now that by staying, I was also enabling his abuse. I was ignoring these despicable behaviors that needed to become eye-opening for him. I became desperate for his affection and gave in to his desires and failed to make him feel the consequences of his actions. I was an extension of his mother, and we were both guilty of reinforcing his maladaptive behaviors. We both initially stood in the way of any chance for healing that he had, and we were both too weak to say no when we should have. And we both loved him and pitied him and tried to ease his suffering, instead of allowing him to feel it and learn from it. But she was not a bad mother, and I was not a bad wife. We were good, caring people, 
and we were both victims of his mental illness. Clearly we know more about this now, right? I definitely felt like his behaviors were the fault of someone else, instead of him. Why did I think this? I know why. Because he had trained me to believe this. Nothing was ever his fault. But I know now that there was nothing anyone could have done differently during his adulthood to lessen these so-called bad behaviors. There was no one to blame for his abuse, but him. I was not doing anything to reinforce these behaviors. There was nothing I could have done but move on and let him perpetrate his behaviors on someone other than me. That's all any of us can do. He was never going to feel any consequences and there was nothing I could do to change this. He will only ever convince himself that everything happens to him, not because of him. To ease myself now, I have to believe that had I known what was really happening, I would have kicked rocks without a second thought, without the need to reflect on my part in every argument, without the guilt over helping him, without the pity for the him that plays victim oh so well. What seemed like a tumultuous relationship between the two of them, my husband and his mother, was really him acting like, well, him. It was likely how everyone else looking in saw our marriage. The way he operates is the same, with family, with his spouse, with the kids, at work. But his thoughts and behaviors and coping mechanisms look different depending on the dynamics of the relationship he's acting in, making it look like he's controlling certain behaviors in certain situations, which just is not the case most of the time. He was happy as long as he was getting his way or needed something or was getting the attention he wanted. When his mother questioned him, said no to him, or otherwise broke the mold he created for her, he raged on her. He hated her. Without object constancy, as soon as she angered him, he could no longer remember feeling positive about her. He would say things like, You've never been a good mother. You have never been there for me. What have you ever done for me? You owe me this much. When she couldn't handle him calling her names or playing on the guilt that she naturally felt as a mother with a struggling child, she gave in to his demands. As soon as she did this, he loved her again, or at least appeared to. He forgot about the negative feelings and would defend her as the best mom in the world. I felt at the time that if she would just stop giving in to his every whiny-ass need, maybe he would learn to be responsible, or he would learn the consequences of his actions. Maybe if she didn't pay his truck payment all the time, maybe just this one time, he would see that the consequences of recklessly spending money is that he no longer had a truck. And he would learn from this and spend wiser next time. This made sense, because it's what I would do. 
but it would have made absolutely no difference to someone who will never contemplate the future and will never reflect on the past and who only has positive feelings for someone giving him what he immediately desires. I had to imagine how things felt on her end. She knew he had issues, short-lived relationships, unstable home life, scattered employment, always being needy. Mothers have a tendency to feel guilty over all the issues their children have, to always wonder what they could have done differently, to struggle with how their kids feel about them, always wanting to know that they're loved in return. I imagine hearing his tantrums fed into her guilt and saddened her with the suspicion that her child would never actually love her. Then the realization that if she just gave in to him, if she just gave him what he wanted, he would stop saying these hurtful things. In fact, he would shower her with adoration. She probably needed this, to pretend for just a minute that she loved her son and he loved her. It was probably how she coped with what she somehow had to know was really happening. To the outside world, he was a spoiled brat and she gave in to his every desire, and the blame was on her for making him such a selfish, entitled piece of shit. But to me, I got it. It made perfect sense. There were no words that she had that could explain what was actually happening. Who would understand it? This was exactly what I experienced in my relationship with him, only I didn't live across the country from him, only having to survive phone calls and occasional holidays. I had to do this daily. But what story could I tell? And who would understand? Of course, I was very foolish at the time to think there was any behavior his mother or I could have done or could have had that would have changed the way that he behaved. Assuming it to be a mental illness, maybe one that just needed therapy or that one magic pill. I wasn't aware of how this personality disorder might play out in an intimate relationship. It was again just me trying to deflect any proof that whatever was going on with him was permanent. I wanted so badly to believe that he could be healed, that our relationship could be healed, that I lied to myself repeatedly. I looked for someone else to blame anyone but him but I know better now now one would think that these two people wife and mother-in-law could at least be a support for each other after all they have similar stories to tell and know the truth right wrong at least in my story his mother lived in great denial never really researching or accepting what was wrong with her son she wanted to just keep feeling the love by giving in to his demands and ignoring him when he was unhappy. She didn't validate my experience any more than any other strangers who couldn't possibly understand it. Each of my encounters with his mother were other encounters of abuse for me, and I quickly learned that I wanted no part of them and I had to cut her out of my life. I knew he was treating other people poorly also, but each dealt with it in their own way making excuses for it, distancing themselves from it, overlooking it, ignoring it, 
But I found no validation in knowing this because each of these people who brushed off this behavior wanted to believe evil doesn't exist, wanted to believe there must be other explanations, or just wanted to not have any part of it and could walk away. Not one stopped to consider the truth in my stories or wanted to link together their experiences of his behavior with mine or wanted to consider the possibility that their explanations for wrongful justifications and maybe, just maybe, as the person closest to him, I was experiencing him in a much more magnified way than them and perhaps his attempts to paint an ugly picture of me were to cover those truths up. Not one. Maybe it's true what they say, ignorance is bliss. I think making a choice to live in ignorance is just destructive, but that's just me. So I sat in this experience on my own, convincing myself I was the only one that he was after, was the only one who could see it, and was the target of his intentional abuse. But the truth is, I was the only person who was not blind to it. I did not choose ignorance. I did question things, and research things, and put the pieces together. I was better than all of them, and they didn't matter to me at all anymore. In fact, I wanted away from them as well. I encourage all of you who have identified the negatives in your world, who have been unable to sever the ties that lead back to your abuser, who have reminders of your invalidated story or who have perpetrators of abuse by proxy, to break free completely. Cut unnecessary ties. The freedom will be priceless. As always, you can find more support between shows on Facebook and Instagram at I Believe Your Abuse. You can find support, including resources for support groups and professionals who specialize in narcissistic abuse at IBelieveYourAbuse.com. And this is a work in progress. I'll be adding to this list as I locate information. You can send in comments, requests for specific topics to be addressed, or share your survivor stories by sending an email to IBelieveYourAbuse at gmail.com. Be sure to follow the podcast to have episodes automatically added as they come out. And if you have friends or family who are struggling with narcissistic abuse, or if you have any that are willing to understand your experience, please share the show with them. Spreading awareness and understanding is so important. Until next time, own your truth. Never stop telling your story. I believe you.